Listen, it's, it's good to see all you guys' faces. I can see faces through windows. I can see faces through cracked windows, front windshields. It's great to see you here. Uh, it's been a while. Uh, I look forward to seeing you in person. Uh, hopefully, all of you are secured there in your vehicles and secured at home. Uh, we're going to talk about security this morning, but it's going to be a little different type of security. Uh, the security you have right now is good, um, but it is uh, temporary right? It is limited. The type of security we're going to talk about today is eternal, and uh, that's the doctrine of eternal security. We're continuing in our, our series on, on our, the doctrines of our faith, basic training, and we talk about eternal security today. This is actually a pretty controversial doctrine. I mean, it's one that's debated. There are some who don't believe that you should uh, should, should believe in eternal security, that it's not possible. Some think that it's, it's careless, it creates laziness, maybe it produces uh, sin, a desire to sin, uh, or at least the feeling that I can do whatever I want. Some people think it's presumptuous to say I'm saved and secure and I'm not going to lose my salvation, but I think that's, that's not what the Bible teaches. I know that's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, it's compared, uh, I heard, heard it said this way once uh, a, a guy asked another man if he was saved, if he was a Christian, and he said yes. Uh, the man asked him, well, how long have you been a Christian? He said, well, on and off for about 20 years. And that's kind of what people actually believe, that you can have your salvation one minute and lose it the next. But that, that's not what the Bible teaches. And I don't believe that God is honored by that belief especially if the Bible teaches something different, which I do believe that it does. And so it's not presumptuous to believe that I'm saved and that I'm secure in my salvation. That's not presumptuous. We need to be willing to accept what the Bible says and understand that the Bible, even if it's illogical to us in some areas, and even if there are areas where maybe it seems to contradict itself, it really doesn't when you look at the teaching of Scripture as a whole. We need to accept that regardless of what any person or denomination, this is debated amongst denominations, even Baptists believe that, some Baptists believe that you can lose your salvation, whereas as a whole, we as a denomination believe in eternal security. That's one of our our uh, foundational beliefs, but there are still some who believe that you can lose it. Uh, there are certainly other denominations, but regardless of what an individual says or what another denomination says, we need to understand what the Bible says on this, and that's what we want to look at this morning. We're going to start with arguments for the doctrine of eternal security. We're going to start with, with uh, what the Bible says and what we believe traditionally as Southern Baptists, and by the way, this is another great topic for, for right now, right? I mean, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of uncertainty, even as we go into the next week and, and with the hopes of things kind of loosening up a little bit, we still are uncertain and we can be insecure, but we know that we can be secure in our salvation. Well, how so? Well, some of these arguments will show us that. One, the Bible teaches us that we receive life in Christ, and that's called eternal life. You, you really don't have to look any farther than the most well-known verse in all the Bible, John 3, 16. Whoever believes in Jesus has what? Has eternal life. And then if you back up a verse in verse 15 of the same uh, chapter, John chapter 3, 
Jesus says everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And then you fast forward to verse 36, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life. So three times in that one chapter, we're told that we have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Eternal life is exactly what it says. It's eternal. So either words have no meaning, or that means exactly what it says. If you believe in Jesus, have faith in him, have received salvation, then you have eternal life. Um, you, the, the preacher once asked this question, was, I guess was, was preaching on this same topic, and a lady came up to him afterwards and was talking about it, and, and she, she was having trouble with this concept. And he, he was preaching on John 3, uh, specifically John 3, 16, and he asked her, okay, well, if that verse said, he who believes in the Son has six months' life, would you lose your life before six months? And she said, well, no, of course not. And he said, well, what about a year? If it said, he who believes in the Son has a year or ten years, would you lose your life before that time? She said, of course not. He said, well, how about if it said, he who believes in the Son has life until he sins? She said, well, that's what I believe. And he said, but that's not what it says. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. And eternal life is what we have in Christ, which means that it's never-ending. Eternal life is the gift of God, and eternal security simply means the continuation of salvation for those who are saved for all of eternity. So either it's what it says, or the Bible's not accurate. It is eternal life. Another way to look at it, another argument, I guess, uh, for eternal security is that the believer is brought by salvation into a vital relationship with Christ. It is a vital relationship with Christ. We're said to be in Christ. The living Christ is living in us, and we are living in Him. We are in Christ, and He is in us. He's already justified us by His blood. We talked about the doctrine of justification. He's justified us by His blood. So now how much more, now that we are justified, now that we are His children, how much more is He going to deliver us from the wrath of God? Romans 5 teaches us that, verses 8 through 10. And then you look at Romans chapter 8. We read, All those who are led by God's Spirit are God's sons, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are his children. The Spirit lives in us, testifying that we belong to him. Verse 17, And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified in him. I mean, the Spirit testifies that we are his children. Abba, that is the, the name for Father that is a personal, intimate name. And none of us, if our children did something wrong, would kick our kids out of the house. I mean, maybe after, maybe after they did it three or four times, and I'm just kidding, but we, we really wouldn't do that. And so for those of us who are human parents, if we wouldn't do that to our kids... And that certainly there's no way we could make them not our children. They're going to be our children no matter what. Why would we think that God, who is a more perfect loving God, he is perfect and we are not, why would we think he would do that? I mean, yeah, he punishes us when we sin and there's consequences, but 
He's, he's not going to make us not his children once we are his children. The Spirit testifies that we are his. And then there's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's another way to look at that. The Holy Spirit's active work in our life shows us that we have eternal security. Once we believe, once we hear the gospel and believe the gospel, we're seated, or sealed rather with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we talked about that several weeks ago with the laminate paper. We're sealed. Nothing can change what Jesus has done what the Holy Spirit's done in and through us. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.14 says that he is the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is our pledge, that down payment. Uh, down payment or earnest money. If you've ever bought a house, you've put down earnest money on that house. And that is a guarantee that you're not going to back out on the contract. I mean, they may back out on their end, but you're, you're not going to back out. And that's, that's the idea here in Ephesians chapter 1 is that the Holy Spirit is earnest money. It's down payment on the fact that what God started, He will finish. That one day, He will come back and redeem us. The purchase is complete. And He's going to bring us home to be with Him. The Holy Spirit living in us is our guarantee that we will enter one day into the full inheritance that God has for us in glory, in heaven. That this world is temporary and that we can look forward, regardless of the circumstances around us, we can look forward with confidence knowing that one day Jesus will bring us home to be with him. And the Holy Spirit is the guarantee, the Holy Spirit living in us. Look at John 14, 6. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor who will be with you forever. And that is key. Once you're saved, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life, and he's there forever. So here's the thing. Either if I lose my salvation, the Holy Spirit goes with me to hell, or this is false. Because the Holy Spirit's not going to hell, right? And, the, and God says that the Holy Spirit is with us forever. So we can believe that once we are saved, we are secure in that salvation. And nothing can change that. There are also the, there's also the positive statements of Scripture that back this up as well. We'll start with John chapter 10, our passage for today. Verses 28 through 30, Jesus said, "...I give them eternal life, and they will never perish." No one will snatch them out of my hand, ever. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I and the Father are one, Jesus says. This statement, think about this. That statement from Jesus himself, from God himself, would be difficult to harmonize with any belief, any belief that says you could lose your salvation. And that's the one we always point to, to back up what we believe, but it's with good reason because it would be really impossible, really difficult at best to harmonize that statement from Christ with any belief that I could lose my salvation. If I, as a Christian, were to go to hell, God would lose a lot more than I would. Yeah, I would lose my soul, but God would lose his name. He would lose who he is, because God does not lie. And if I were to go to hell, then that statement would be false. Look at John chapter 5, verse 24. Jesus says, I assure you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life 
and will not come under judgment, but is passed from death to life. And then jump to Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because, you, because of you we are being put to death all day long, we are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth, or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, D.L. Moody once said that he would rather camp out in the midst of, the, of chapter 8 of Romans than he would in the Garden of Eden. Now think about that. Garden of Eden was perfect. Why would he say that? Well, the reason he says that is, is because in the Garden of Eden, if you're there for a million years, Satan could still tempt you and you could still fall into sin. But in Romans chapter 8, he said that you are guarded. He said you're guarded, you're fenced in on one side by there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus and the other side that absolutely nothing could separate you from the love of God if you were in Christ Jesus. That's amazing. You know, we who are sinners are set free, and now because we are justified before God, we are made righteous before God, nothing can change that. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can take us out of His hand. 1 Peter 1.5 tells us that we are being kept by God's power, and His power is limitless. His power keeps us secure. We have a Savior who is able to keep us. But there are, the, there, there are still those who argue against what I've just told you, that you can lose your salvation. And so now let's look at those arguments, or attacks, rather, attacks against the doctrine of eternal security. Some would say that that type of a belief encourages a life of sin. This is called antinomianism. It's the idea that, that once I'm delivered from sin, I can live however I want. There are those who believe that this, believing I'm secure, will promote a life of sin. But think about that for a moment. The problem here is that the New Testament doesn't teach that. The New Testament doesn't teach that a child of God who is saved will still live in sin, a life of sin. It teaches that God so revolutionizes our character when He saves us that we are not what we once were, not only that, we can't return to what we once were. We've got a new nature, a new life in Christ. It's based, the doctrine of eternal security is based on the facts that at the new birth, we are given a new nature and we can never again live in sin. Now, don't misunderstand me. You can still sin, you can still commit sin, but you're not going to live in sin. I mean, if you have a desire... To live in sin all the time, you're going to do that. Well, what the doctrine of salvation and eternal security, justification, sanctification teaches us is that once we receive a new nature, we no longer have that desire. You can try to do it, but you're not going to be satisfied. You're not going to be content. You're going to be under deep conviction. You're not going to, deep within you, if you're a child of God, you will not have a desire to live a life of sin. You'll have a, it's like saying that if I wanted to, I could change my race. 
Well, just wanting to doesn't change that. It's silly, right? You can't do that just by wanting to. Well, that's because it's who you are. I mean, if you are a child of God, that's who you are. You don't, that just doesn't change. You're a new creation in Christ. So if someone does live a life of sin, not talking about making mistakes. I mean, everybody sins, everybody messes up. I'm talking about living a habitual life of sin. So if somebody does that and has that desire and claims to be a Christian, maybe they're not. Because if I'm a child of God, I will mess up, I will make mistakes, but I will turn from those and turn back to Christ. I will not live a life, a habitual pattern of sin. And that will not be my desire. It's a misrepresentation of the doctrine of eternal security to say that once a person is saved, they'll just use that eternal security as an excuse to live however they want. Because a true child of God won't do that. The Another attack against this doctrine is the belief that the Bible teaches that we must hold out faithful to the end. In other words, that if someone loses their faith, they're not saved. Well, of course, we all believe that we're going to be faithful to the end, that we'll persevere in faith. But the question here is whether or not a Christian can lose his or her faith. That's the idea. That's the, the, the question. That's the attack. That if you lose your faith, then you've lost your salvation. And... and there are passages, we've got, we got to make sure we're clear here, there are passages that talk about the necessity of persevering in faith, but that's different than teaching or claiming that these passage, passages teach that a person who is in Christ, who is a Christian, can be a Christian and then fall away and be lost, can lose their salvation. Eternal life is received by Jesus Christ. After saving us, Jesus doesn't just leave us to do the best we can on our own. He just doesn't leave us to fend for ourselves. So it's not, it's not by our own power alone that we persevere. God stays with us. He causes us to persevere. It's His Spirit again living in us and through us. W.T. Connor says this, he says, Perseverance is not something beyond faith as a condition of salvation. It is the nature of faith to persevere. If it does not persevere, it is not faith. If you are in Christ, you will persevere. Yeah, you'll have ups and downs, hills and valleys, but you will persevere. He goes on, W.T. Connor goes on, he says, To say that one must persevere to be saved is simply saying that the faith that saves is the faith that persists. If it does not persist, it does not have vitality enough to save. In other words, if your faith can't cause you to persevere, then it doesn't have enough to save you. It's not good enough to save you because salvation is complete. Somebody took that statement that I just read and simplified it this way. They said, the faith that fizzles out before the finish had a flaw from the first. In other words, if, you, if your faith fizzles, if it doesn't persevere, then it wasn't true to begin with. Maybe you weren't truly saved if you don't persevere because Jesus promises we will persevere. Another attack is that the Bible teaches the necessity of striving and warns against falling away or losing salvation. And passages like Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 10 speak to this. And listen, those are difficult passages. And I don't have enough time to explain those and at the end of the day, those are still difficult passages. But I do believe these are warning passages. 
And I believe they're addressing two different groups. I don't believe they're teaching that you lose your salvation, especially in light of what the Bible teaches as a whole about salvation. So if we think about it, you look at these passages, I think there are two warnings that we take away. One is that there are some people who profess, especially Hebrews chapter 6, there are some people who profess to be Christians and they get close. They hear the word, but they don't make a decision to follow Christ. They don't receive, they don't truly trust Him in faith, and then they fall away. And there's a warning there that you can look like a Christian, you can act like a Christian, but unless God has truly changed your heart, unless you have truly trusted in Him for salvation, you are not saved. And then there are those Christians who attempt to live a life of sin, who disobey God. They are saved, but they are disobeying God, and then they hinder the work of Christ and cause people to fall away, and they themselves lose rewards that come with salvation, some of which are eternal. Now listen, I don't know what all those are, but the Bible does teach about rewards in heaven. And there are rewards in this life for faithful service. And if, I don't, if I'm not faithful, then I'm going to lose some of those things. And there's a warning for us there, right? That we need to be faithful, that we need to obey God. God still gives us a choice. Now, we will persevere in the end, but we can have periods of disobedience in our lives. Now, again, if, if that describes somebody's life continually forever and they're claiming to be a Christian, you've got to wonder. And you need, to, you need to ask God to show you whether or not you're saved, if that's you. But those are warning passages. And listen, it may not be fully possible to understand those passages, but well, one thing I know for sure, God is consistent. And, and those passages should never be interpreted in a way that contradicts passages like John chapter 10. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Verse 27, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Jesus doesn't contradict himself. No one will snatch them out of my hands. And he says, My Father who's given them to me, is greater than all, and no one will snatch them out of my Father's hands. I and the Father are, are one. And, and so passages that are, yes, difficult to understand do not contradict the words of God. It's all the Word of God. Those straight from the mouth of God. So a person who is saved is saved forever. Now, let's look at the application. How do we apply this? The doctrine of eternal security. We're going to you know, with all this, it's a lot of good head knowledge, a lot of good education, but how do we apply this to our daily lives? How does this affect me every day? Well, one way that we need to apply this is that the doctrine of eternal security should motivate us to live a holy life. You know, that belief that, hey, if I'm secure, I can do whatever I want, it doesn't matter. No, that's not how this works. Knowing that I am saved and secure Nothing should motivate me more to live for Christ than knowing that I am secure in my salvation and absolutely nothing can change that. Man, that should be a fire that motivates us, that propels us to serve God with reckless abandon. To live the, the, the most holy life by His power and His strength that I could ever live. This should motivate us to live a holy life. 
You know, we've seen that the person who knows Jesus receives a new nature and the direction of his life, his or her life, is changed forever. That means he no longer has a desire to practice sin. He now wants to live a life that honors God. This doctrine is not for careless people who want to make an empty profession of faith, join a church, and then continue with life as usual. That's not what this is for. It's for the person who's saved by grace and who is struggling to live a life in this world that's messed up by pandemics and all other sorts of things. It's for that person who loves Jesus and is struggling to live for Him and also realizes that He's imperfect and that I struggle and that there are things in my life that that are not the way that I want them to be because I'm in the process of being sanctified. This doctrine is for that person who's living for Jesus day to day in his imperfection who can be secure understanding that even though I'm not what I'm meant to be yet, one day I will be. That's who this doctrine's for. It's not an excuse. It's not a free ticket out of hell to do whatever I want. It's so that I can live my life and know that I don't have to worry moment by moment that I'm going to do one thing that's going to change my eternal destiny. Jesus wants us, hear me, regardless of what you're going through, regardless of where you are, Jesus wants you to be secure in Him. And it's the reason we can have hope in the midst of things like this. It's the reason we can look beyond the unpleasantness of our current circumstances and have joy and have hope and honk our horns with it for an amen when we're happy and have joy because we know we are secure in Christ. (laughs) Nothing can change that. Jesus said, not only can no one snatch you out of my hand, I'm not going to let them. You're mine. You are my child. He wants you to be secure, and He wants you to live a holy life, and He wants you to know that nobody in this world is perfect. One day you will be, and it's okay. You're going to mess up. You turn to Jesus, you ask for forgiveness, and you don't do it again. And you understand that He's a patient, loving Father. Since this doctrine should have an effect on holy living, it is obvious that there should be a great sense of urgency. It's obvious to me that there's a great sense of urgency to put it into practice, to live the way that God wants us to live. And also, another application point here, it should make us want to serve with enthusiasm. You live a holy life, but serve with enthusiasm. You know, sometimes we lose the sense of urgency We lose our enthusiasm. We go through the motions. We do what we know we should, but there's no real joy in it. Or there doesn't appear to be. And and we should be enthusiastic about what God's called us to do. If anyone should have enthusiasm, it should be those who are secure in the Lord Jesus. You think about it this way. If you were working with somebody else on top of the Empire State Building, or hey, even, you know, the top of this building right here, and one of you had a harness, a safety harness, and the other person didn't, who would work the hardest? Well, it'd be the person with the safety harness, right? Because the other guy would be worried about falling, especially if you've ever been to New York City, you've seen the Empire State Building, Freedom Tower, something like that. I mean, it's massive. 
I mean, first of all, I wouldn't work up there, but if I had to, I certainly wouldn't do it without a safety harness because I would be secure. Well, that's those of us who are saved, we should be serving God with reckless abandon because we're secure. That even if this life ends, we know that we're secure. We're okay. God's got us in his hands and will never let us go. The doctrine of eternal security, like all doctrines, at the end of the day, is about the glory of Jesus Christ. Me saying that I'm secure is not a presumptuous statement. It's speaking to God's glory and His majesty and His ability to keep me no matter what, to keep me saved. If we as Christians lose our salvation, then everything that Jesus did in His life, His death, and His resurrection would be tainted. It would mean that it wasn't enough. That it wasn't sufficient, but it was. And we can be secure. We are secure. The truth is, you and I have no power to save ourselves at all. And even those who believe you can lose your salvation would agree with that statement. We cannot save ourselves, all right? At least some of them. There are some who believe in works-based salvation. But the truth is, Scripture teaches... You and I don't have power to save ourselves, and if we don't have power to save ourselves, then how could we ever make a statement or have the belief that we have the power to take that salvation away? Salvation is never in my hands or your hands at all from beginning to end, period. It's by faith that we are in Jesus Christ. We are saved by faith. We have no power to save, no power to keep, but God does, but that's the key, all right? Don't miss this. It is by faith that we are saved. By faith. You can't save yourself, but you do have to trust Jesus and put your faith in Him. And it's like, you know, all of you are in your cars, right? Everybody, some of you may have locked your door because you're not so sure about the person next to you. I don't know. I didn't lock my truck this morning, and I've got a couple of people there. David's running the camera. So I'm a, I tell you what, I'm going to lock my truck right now. I've got a little key fob here. If I push the button, it's locked. All right? But if I don't push the button, like I didn't this morning, my truck's not secure, right? And I have to push the button. The little beep, it's a Toyota, so it beeps. The little lights flash, shows me that it's secure. But there's actually, and even if, it's, if you're old-fashioned, we don't use these anymore. Some of you don't even have key fobs anymore. You do. They stay in your pocket. I'm, I'm still old school in that sense, but you can even go beyond that, right? You know, used to, you had to stick your key in the door and lock it. And if you left the house today, some of you either had to punch in a code or, or you stuck your key in the door and you locked it, hopefully. Some of you just may have realized, I forgot to lock the house. Don't think about that right now, Okay. You've got to stick your key in the door. You've got to lock it. Or you've got to push the button to lock it. I can't. I mean, if you have an automated, automated house, you can. But I can't. My truck, I can't just say, be locked, right? I mean, it just, I have to actually push the button. There's an act. But I'm not securing that truck, right? There's nothing I'm doing. It's the lock that secures it. And even when I push the button, I mean, it's still, it is, it is, the actual lock itself. But I have to trust. I've got to push the button, and I believe that it's locked. Well, that's what faith is for us. It's pushing the button that says, okay, Jesus, you are who you said you were. You are who you say you are. 
You died for my sins, and I am a sinner. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, I am a sinner. And I know that if I am going to be saved, you have to save me. Come into my life, forgive me of my sin, and save me. It's by faith that we are saved. God's not going to force himself on you. So if you want to be secure, in order for my truck to be secure, it's got to be locked. If you want to be secure, you've got to push that button of faith and say, Jesus, come into my life. And then he will. And you can be secure in your salvation. By faith, we are in Christ, and he is in us. Because he is eternal and stands with us. And because of that, we will persevere. Because it's not dependent on me. My salvation is not dependent upon me. My perseverance is not dependent upon me. Yes, I have to obey. Yes, I have to grow in my faith. But it's not dependent upon my strength. And it's not dependent upon whether or not I can carry myself to the end. God will carry me to the end. And because of Him, we are eternally secure. I want to finish with this verse today. It's such a great verse from a very small book in the New Testament. A couple of verses. In Jude, Jude only has one chapter. It's verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and power and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. He is able to protect, he's able to save, he's able to keep, and he's able to make us persevere. So wherever you are today, those of you that are watching, if you haven't pushed that button of faith and trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to do that. Maybe you're here in the car today and you haven't pushed that button of faith and trusted Jesus as Savior, invited him into your life. All you have to do is what I told you a few minutes ago. Accept that you've sinned, believe that Jesus died for your sins, and invite him into your life to forgive you of your sins. Maybe you're here today or you're watching and you've struggled with security. In the midst of all of this, you've watched the world come apart, or at least it seems seems like it has, and you haven't been secure in your faith, and you've doubted God, you need to come back to the truth of Scripture today and trust that God never changes. And that if He says you're secure, you can trust in that security, and you can live your life in faith with reckless abandon in your faith, with enthusiasm, with joy, and trust that no matter what happens, nothing can take you out of your Savior's hands. Wherever you are today and whatever God is telling you from this, I encourage you to trust Him, to have confidence in Him, to live with joy regardless of your circumstance and to know that you are secure. Now, if you're watching at home, I encourage you, if you have a question about a decision or if you want to know what it means to trust Jesus, there's a slide that's going to come up on your screen that will show you how to get in touch with us. You can call the church. You can send an email. You can message us on Facebook. Info at wallhighway.com is the email. You can go to the website and get information about the church. I encourage you to contact us. Send us a message, Facebook, email, call, uh, whatever. We want to hear from you. We want to know that you are watching. Uh, we want to get to know you. 
And so I encourage you to do that if you have a decision, if you have a question about the church or a question about a decision. And for everybody here today, we're going to pray in just a few minutes, but I, I want to mention just a couple of things as, before we pray. Um, for those of you that are here, for those of you that are watching at home, as I mentioned every week, uh, there's information about how you can give your tithes and offerings online. A slide will come up to show you how to do that online. Uh, certainly you can mail uh, your, your tithes, your offerings to the church. Uh, after the slide for the offering comes up, there'll be the address slide there with the general fund reference number. You can also use that for your bank's online bill pay. Uh, but, but let me encourage you, uh, as we enter this time of prayer, uh, just think about, dwell on the fact um, that God has given us the riches of His mercy and grace, and He wants us to be secure in that. He doesn't want us to live a life of fear and timidity. He wants to live in the security of knowing that we are His. Now, when I get done praying, I'm going to mention a couple of things to those that are here, uh, give you instructions on how to leave. Uh, but, but for those of us here and at home, let's just go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your mercy. We thank You for the salvation that we have received in You and the security that we have in that salvation. Lord, salvation is not dependent upon anything that I could do. I can't earn it. I can't be good enough. There's nothing I can do to save myself. It is your work, Jesus, your life, your perfect life, your sinless death, your resurrection is because you defeated death. You paid the price for my sin that I can be saved, that I am saved. And you have promised that, that you will keep those that you've saved in your hand and that nothing will ever change that. And while we may not understand some scriptures, we know that you do not contradict yourself and we know that you keep your promises. We trust in you. We put our faith in you. And Lord, I pray that if anybody here in this parking lot or watching from home, if they have not put their faith and trust in you, if they haven't pushed that button that says, Lord, I believe in you and I believe in your death and your burial, your resurrection, and that you are the only way to be saved, Lord, I pray that right now as we pray, that they would just cry out to you, inviting you into their lives, asking for forgiveness and receiving the freedom of forgiveness that you give. For those of us who know you, I pray that we would respond to this doctrine, to this eternal security that we have by living a holy life and serving you with enthusiasm in all that we do. Lord, we thank you for salvation. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We can never thank you enough, but we can live our lives as a testimony of what you have done, are doing, and what you've promised us in the future, a future of glory in heaven with you for eternity. And we are secure in that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today.